Hey up everyone, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast and episode 13. And we're recording this on the 27th of August for a release on the 28th of August 2021. This episode is going to be something a little bit different from all the previous ones and something that I was thinking about doing when I initially started the podcast, uh, but back then uh, I wasn't sure whether I was going to do five, never mind 13. Um, so rather than um, lumber somebody with unlucky 13 as a guest number, I decided to do something a little bit different this week and uh, do a few catch-up interviews. So I've uh, been in contact with some people from the first five episodes um, and um, just had a chat with them um, around what was happening. Because if you remember back then, uh, when we started this six months ago, would you believe, um, we were in the, the the deep, dark depths of lockdown 327. I can't remember how many we had. Um, but everyone was kind of looking forward and planning and, and people had uh, some plans in the future and uh, we were kind of speculating if you like and thinking about what it was going to be like wargaming in a normal world again and uh, I know for some people it isn't quite back to normal yet uh, but for, for for many of us who are lucky enough we've we've been back gaming with uh, our friends um, for I don't know two or three months now maybe and uh, that's opened a lot of doors and a lot of things have happened to uh, the guests that we spoke to in those first few episodes. Um, Richard Harris, who I spoke to in episode two, I know his first uh, public uh, guest game, uh, Legendary War Games, is happening next weekend. So good luck, Richard, to that. And um, hopefully I'll have a catch up with you in the next episode we we do. Uh, and then Dr. Chris Brown, unfortunately, his Arnhem event uh, that we spoke about in the third episode has uh, had to be cancelled. Uh, due to um, COVID regulations and an uncertainty really about what's happening in uh, in Holland, and um, I've seen on social media that Chris is thinking about maybe doing one in January. Uh, so I'll keep you updated on that if I get any news, um, which would be great. Um, sounds like a fantastic event doing uh, lots of market garden related uh, games actually in Arnhem um, at, a, at a hotel that's featured in a number of uh, contemporary photographs of the battle. So that sounds like a, a fantastic event should it go ahead. So there'll be a couple of guests from the first episode and uh, I'll also be speaking to Mark Freeth from the fifth episode. And uh, there'll also be an interview with uh, Andy Dickinson from Leeds War Games Club, uh, which is my local club, and I'm just catching up with uh, things that's happened there and the developments during the closing COVID. Uh, of the ones I've not mentioned of those first five episodes, uh, Colin Ashton, I'm hoping to get up and see Colin and actually play a game um, in uh, in real life, if you like. 
and uh, I'll take my little recording device with me if I get a chance to go and see Colin and uh, we'll have a chat in person which will be absolutely brilliant. Uh, going forward I'm, I'm hoping to do these probably every 10 episodes so um, I, I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself here thinking that I'm going to get to 23 um, but as I've already got guests or one sorry I've got one slot left now uh, between now and Chris between now and the new year um, so I don't think I'm pushing the boat out saying that I'll do another catch-up episode, episode uh, 23. So that, that's quite enough of me rambling on. And uh, I think the best thing to do will be to go along to our first interview. And uh, that's going to be with uh, Chris Breeze uh, from the first episode. So there's no quiz. There's no uh, big game talk other than uh, what comes up naturally. It's just a couple of mates catching up after six months off. So here we are back in the studio with Chris Breeze from uh, episode one, which would you believe Chris was six months ago, mate? Was it that long ago? It was oh, that. It, it seems like a lifetime, doesn't it? <laughs> it does seem a long time. I think how many miniatures and how many games I played in those six months is quite a lot, actually, for me. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. I think I think the world has changed for a lot of people since we last spoke. Um, so there's 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 plenty of us for talk to talk about. Um, but back in back in episode one, you were on with uh, Gareth Lane, Lord Raglan himself, chatting about the old yep. World War Roses event. Um, so just to kick off, how did that go then? Yeah, that was great. We were really happy with it. I think, given that to be honest, we didn't put huge amounts of efforts into it. <laughs> it Look, it might have looked like we did, but for us, it, yeah. was, it was really just some posting on Twitter and Led Adventure Forum about the event using a hashtag on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we were massively helped by John, John Kabosh of Athena Miniatures, who put a competition on yeah. for us, a painting competition, which helped promote it, um, which really helped boost it. Um, so we were, we were chuffed with it. And in the end, we, we had uh, 13 games in nine different countries played, obviously, remotely across one weekend all different Wars of Roses games and scenarios did a couple of Zoom calls as well uh, at different time zones for participants I think I think the highlight was um, you know having two or three people on the on a Zoom call at a time while we were playing our big St Albans game in Wales which looked great and was was great fun Um, you know we were able to just say hello to the people in Canada. Hello, Thomas, by the way, yeah. if you're listening. Uh, and, and just chat to them for five minutes and just everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was great fun and really funny. You know, people people took it in great spirits and it kept everyone, well, it certainly kept me sane <laughs> for, for a, quite a difficult part of lockdown. So, yeah. Brilliant. So your game, the, the St. Albans game, did that, uh, that took place down in uh, Gareth's place, did it, in Wales? It did, yeah, in, in Aragavelli in Wales, uh, in Gareth's sheds. It was me, Gareth, and Paul Baldwin, uh, and Jim as well. And we did, uh, we had, a, we had, a, we wanted two thousand measures on the table. I think we ended up with just over a thousand, a thousand and a half. Um, the, 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 you know, the town looked good, uh, really good. Um, you know, Gareth's got some great venues and miniatures, and Paul's collection is lovely as well. So it, it, it looked, it looked great. Yeah, it was good fun, really good fun day. Yeah, some cracking pictures on on social media. Look really, really, really good. What did, what rules did you use in the end? Was it um, Hail Caesar? You Hail Caesar. Yeah, yeah. it's an adaptation of Hail Caesar, where the, the Perry twins had helpfully somewhere on Facebook posted 
the adaptations of how seasons they use when they're playing. Oh, um, that's that's useful. Roses. Yeah. So we just nick that. Yeah. It, yeah. And it worked fine. Brilliant. And um, what's what were the vital statistics? I, meant, I think you mentioned a couple of thousand figures. Wasn't yeah. So it was a couple of thousand figures. So it was it was about. Uh, we gave the Yorkists slightly more, which in the real first battles and Albans was was the case. So I think they historians think they probably outnumbered the Lancastrians by anything up to three to one on the day. So they had a much larger force, but obviously Lancastrians were, were dug in in a sense. Mm. So they had some fortification that we had to get through. They had a, we gave. Uh, for people who place St Albans one, by the way. Um, yeah. Uh, it's generally accepted that the, the the point where Warwick crosses into the town, people just talk about him going through defences. Mm. It's it, it would have been a ditch, the Tomlin ditch, which is a, a defensive ditch around St Albans, yeah. which which would have dated back probably to Roman times, um, which would have still been in use at the time. Um, and there's a bit of debate as to whether there would be anything on the top of the ditch, like a fence mm. or something, you know. And we yeah. decided there would be, so we we we, we built a version of the ditch and stuck a fence uh, on the top of it, just a, a sort of palisade-type fence, you know. Um, so well, that's yeah. that's we, we that's that was the sort of the the, the, the front line, if you yeah. like. Well, from, from my limited knowledge of medieval history, the, the, um, ditches tended to contain not very pleasant stuff from the from the town and village normally. Yeah, it's when you <laughs> chucked everything, basically. Yeah. yeah. It was your kind yeah. of um, municipal tip. Uh, stroke yeah, exactly right. Place yeah. to flush your toilet. So it couldn't yeah. have been too good going through that. Um, yeah, and I think probably. you built like yourself, didn't you? I, I saw some bits and pieces. Um, Did I mean, that was social. quite challenging, to be honest, because if you, obviously we, we're not using a modular table. Uh, we use a flat, a flat table, which looks great. Um, but we decided, well, how are you going to represent a ditch on a mm. flat table? So we came to a compromise where we did this modular. So I kind of created a, a slope, a mm. slope up to a point, yeah. and a slope down to a point, and then dug into that. Yeah. And put some put some epoxy resin to just represent water. It was, it was obviously representative as all these things are. It wasn't quite wide enough and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, it did the job, you know. Yeah. It, did, it did okay. No, it certainly looked good. It certainly good, looked good, the pictures that I saw. So, uh, yeah, it looked absolutely Thanks. great. Yeah, yeah, we were happy with it. And, and did you, was all, all that done in a, a day, the game, or did you stretch it out a bit? No, it was done in a day. It was done in a day. I was pleased, you know, not, I've not actually played a game with Gareth and um, and Paul before, Jim. So we, um, you, you never know how, yeah. people, how much <laughs> people hold you yeah. <laughs> to, to re-rolls and details and stuff. Yeah. But they were, thankfully, they were as relaxed as me. Oh, that's super. <laughs> so it, super. it rattled along reasonably well. And I think yeah. we got the game. There was a bit of, you know, it was a break. We did a did a break for lunch. I think we got the game. We got the game done the day easy, to be honest. Yes. Yeah. You know, Gareth was getting overrun, so he did call it in the end. We could have we could have pushed yeah. on all the way into the evening and killed every last Lancastrian in the place. Well, and a, and a Gareth, good, a good thing that would have been like, too. I can't win this. Yeah. <laughs> once once the, once the Yorkists got over the ditch. Yeah. Which which I think there was a point where we weren't sure whether we were going to make it over, but but. Um, Tellingly to history, Warwick rolled quite well. Yeah, in the middle uh, and got and got through, and so did so did Richard Duke of York got through as well. And as soon as they were in, yeah, um, Gareth was good. It was always up against it, and was, yeah. was the numbers were always going to do him really. So he fold he generously um, he generously sort of uh, accepted defeat once we were in and running ragged around the town centre. 
Oh, bless him, bless him. And I, I remember there was, um, it was, was it Thomas in Canada who had his game outside under a, That's right. under a, like a tarpaulin yeah. or something? Yeah, I, I mean, we were really grateful to them for pushing ahead with it, really, because they still couldn't meet indoors, but they could meet outdoors in numbers. Right. So they, yeah, they, they, even though they didn't have a great forecast, because <laughs> <laughs> they had snow because they were in Towton. Yeah. Um, so they almost had real snow. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been perfect. Uh, well, it, not not quite. I'm exaggerating, but it was grey. Oh, <laughs> it was a grey, blustery day. Yeah, uh, in Vancouver, it was um, on, on the Zoom call. But they were having a great fun. Yeah, and so I, they, I, they put the I, effort to go ahead with it. You know, I, I, I seem to remember that they were they, they had um, like warm fleeces and stuff on. I didn't see any gloves. They were dressed. But they, were, in coats, they were certainly yeah. dressed for uh, a yeah. cold climate. Yeah, um, they were. So, so as, as well as that one, what? Um, where else did you did you get to in the world? Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the nicest things was a couple of guys in Spain, uh, in Barcelona, who put on a two-person game. There's a couple of guys in, in Nottingham put something on. There's um, the people who designed Test of Resolve, David Knight and Tim Cooper. If Wars of Roses fans might be aware of this new rule set, Test of Resolve, which I've yeah, helped I'm, them play test. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm um, going to have a have a chat with you about that in a second. So yeah, great news yeah, they, they were involved. They they put a game on for us as well. Mm. Um, then there was um, Stephen Mole in Australia also yep. did a onwards game. And there's a couple. There's I think there were two games in New Zealand in the end. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a mixture of of random stuff and and stuff that was based around a real battle because we said that we weren't precious about it. <laughs> yeah. Gets, yeah. Yeah. No, just get some more roses figures on the table and, and we'll count it. So. Yeah, absolutely superb. So, um, although I, I, I do know the results, so I'm from Yorkshire. Mm. I, I don't want to mention this, but just 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 so the the listeners are aware of what happened. Yeah. So on the weekend, out of all all the games, Yorkists won five battles, Lancastrians won seven, Ooh. and there was one draw. Ooh. Recount, recount, which is annoying <laughs> because we, York went ahead at the early doors. Got I think the one point they three games ahead. We thought we might get this in the bag. Yeah. So there, no, there's a run of Lancastrian victories. Yeah, um, unfortunately, that's a shame. I, I, I saw it early doors where Yorkists were front, in front. I thought, yeah, here mm. we go, no problems at all. And then it, it kind of the tide turned, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I think the Snowbins game, me, me and Paul were kind of, um, you know, neither of us have played a lot of Hell's recently, and and and, <laughs> and we were sort of mindful of the fact that um, if we messed it up with our advanced numbers, <laughs> it would look particularly bad. So it was a bit of a relief to get in, in, in to get one over on Gareth Lancastrians and and uh, get that started in the oh, right way. Brilliant. And the pressure was on. So, yeah, it was good. <laughs> so have you, have, uh, is there any plans for next year? Have you going to thinking about making this a regular thing or what? What's well, the two or three people have said we'd, if you do it, if, if you do it again, a hundred percent will take part. Um, so I am keen to do it again um, yeah. because it was reasonably straightforward to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just kind of, I think like a lot of people there, I think I've got one eye on the COVID situation and, and whether people will be, be quite so bothered about the remote side of it in, in, in hopefully a world that has less mm. restriction. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know, do we? Um, but it, it got my, really piqued my interest. Well, why, why don't we do, do this in person? Because you know, we did yeah. have one, two, three, four games going on in, yeah. in Britain, you know? Mm. So why don't we all just meet up and just we we could have had you know five thousand figures in one game in somewhere yeah. in the middle of the country, yeah, and done it done it over a weekend and that could have been the host game for the for the you know for the globe and just put bring everyone together you know mm. in a good venue, 
Yeah. Um, so it's peak my uh, enthusiasm for something like that, really. Oh, well, that'll so. be, yeah. Keep keep us keep us um, up to date with that. That's a, a decent idea, and it's just um, an idea. It's yeah. just an idea. And but, um, yeah. there's always yeah, there's always have to check the people who actually want to do that. Really, yeah. yeah. There's there's always the potential of the venue here in Leeds that we've now got at the club. So, which is a permanent one. So, yeah. um, just yeah. bear, bear that in mind, mate. That's brilliant. Well, well, thank you very Absolutely. much for that. Thank you. That, that was um, a great start to the, to, to to my pod cast was that first episode with the uh, world war roses um and over youtube and um podbean it's on about 1500 listens now which is, uh, wow. which is very nice um so uh, thanks very much for that leap of faith on that first one that was very kind of you mate no worries um so um you, you, just a few things to, to quickly chat through and uh, you've 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 mentioned this one very briefly in, in the test of resolve uh, rules um, mm. and the guys who wrote that were involved in in the world war of the roses which i, did, I wasn't aware of um, but but you were involved in the was it the play testing of these yeah that's right yeah so they they did a lot of the play testing via zoom in lockdown mm. and tim and tim and david are extraordinarily good at, at setting up and running games via zoom uh, they tend to tend to host them at tim's house um, the way they've done it is they've kind of got lots of different players from lots of different countries, lots of different styles of player yeah. as well in, involved in the playtesting. And they were so rigorous about it, mm. which is which is why I think it does play so well. Yeah. Um, and it might not have the backing of a big publisher. You know, it's not mm. an Osprey book or whatever. You, yeah. know, it's, you can get it on Amazon, but it, it mm. is, is all intents and purposes, you know, a self-made project. Um, but it, but frequently people just talk about how well how well and it does play really well and it, it, it's a lot of fun um and the, i think the most interesting thing about it is, is it's a car-based turn system which people will be familiar with these days mm. um but also they've made a real effort to recreate uh or to try to entertainingly recreate what <laughs> what, what a, a medieval battle actually would have been like yeah with kind of masses of men moving against each other rather than these neat little units that we tend as war gamers we tend to lean towards because yeah. they're pretty um, but, but in terms of gaming um, the, I think the assumption is that, that masses of men in, in, or counting masses of men together in terms of combat mm. is probably not that much fun but they mm. found a way to, to do it if yeah. you know what I mean chiefly by using a, a 12 sided dice yeah. one, one dice one yeah. dice <laughs> you know one, one dice, dice. Yeah? yeah there's not handfuls and handfuls of d6 which, which works really well yeah, it's a, it's a clever, clever way of doing it. And what what sort of um, game size, number of players, etc., is that sort of catered towards? What's it? What's it for? I mean, I suppose it, it's kind of. Um, I wouldn't call it a skirmish game, but mm. also I don't think it's it's something you'd use for mass battles. It's, it we've tended to um, play games that are um, you know about three hundred side. Yeah. So it's kind of like a somewhere between a medium-sized battle and a big battle, or it's a medium-sized battle game type, mm. type thing. It seems to tend to work well for that. But it's very adaptable, really. Mm. You know, it's, it's... And is it is it multiplayer or is it a one-on-one? We tend to play it one-on-one. I think I think it's primarily designed as, as a one-on-one game. But you mm. could you could do it. I mean, it's done in battles, you know, as in yeah. groups of men. So you could you you can easily divide up command in that sense. Mm. So yeah, it's it's. Um, it's an interesting set, and I encourage everybody who's into the period to have a look at it. Yeah, definitely. So, how how long were you involved with the playtesting then? Well, 
quite a while actually it's probably about nine months or something overall wow. yeah. I probably you probably played about five six games with them yeah something like that and and I mean people um, anybody who's ever played a game with me will, will know that I love playing games yeah um, but I'm utterly relaxed about the detail of rules I, I just yeah. I, 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 I I will wing it and happily absorb yeah. it and go with it. But I've got no time to read 150 page rule books. <laughs> I just can't do it. So I, it's not going to happen. So, yeah. I, you know, I do. And, and by the way, Test Resolve is not 150 pages. It's not, yeah. it's not a big rule set at all. Mm. Uh, but, but I think that I think that they tended to play with all sorts of players, um, mm. people who were really into rules and like, like reading big rule sets yeah. and the design rules themselves. That's not me. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think what they find quite useful about me is, is that I'm relatively inexperienced still with, with details yeah. of rules. I'm quite aggressive as a player as well because I'm quite yeah. reckless. <laughs> Probably because I, I, I really don't care that much about winning. Yeah. Um, it's nice. I quite want to win. Yeah. Am I going to carefully, you know, examine every decision I make to make sure that I'm going to win? No. no. I'm going to try and, try and do what I think looks fun yes. in, in any given situation. You know, it would be fun to charge that even though it's going to result in you know, chaos in that part yeah. of the board. I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> it tends to be what, how I play. Probably to do with youth, isn't it? And yeah. just being in the throes still of collecting things. Yeah. Um, so I think I was quite useful to them because I think I was I was a contrast mm. to other people who they may be used to playing with. Very, very so, carefully and moving millimetres of bait to it. And lots of stuff. Yeah, I'd just, I'd just go for it. I just, yeah. I don't I don't hang back either, um, <laughs> which makes me very easy to defeat if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. If, you, if you're not used to it, it can take occasionally take me by surprise. And then sometimes I get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, shock, so, yeah. Shock and awe. Bit of shock and awe. Yeah. It's just, just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm, not, I'm a great believer that we use dice. It's just chance. I mean, there's, 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 of course there's... Of course, a, a well-versed tactical player is always going to have an advantage. Yeah, but there's always there's always room for a blagger like me. You know, yeah, you know, with with dice. So you can, yeah. you can you can play the percentages, or you can play the game, can't you? I yeah. think those are the, those are the uh, yeah. we're very much a play the game type in here as well, which is excellent. Um, the rules the rules themselves then are they? Because um, one thing I do like is is sort of very tight specific rules for periods um mm. so are these are these war wars of the roses specific they kind of are yeah so yeah. They've, they've got two scenario books as well so they've, they've they've gone as far as devising a scenario for pretty much every battle and laying it out in in, in two scenario books too um and, and the style of combat as well is geared towards that era um so it's all it was all around trying to reflect how how the uh, move the ebb and flow of a battle would go yeah. at the time you know and, and whether because by the way it's generally accepted that you probably didn't um separate your bill men and your you know um blokes off the farm yeah yeah from your glistening men at arms yeah. all of your your close hand hand troops would probably in a, in a battle yeah. in a group of men would all just mm. be in together probably you know yeah. Uh, they're all mixed together, and, and of course you'd have lords with close knights around them. But yeah. then beyond that, you're all just a, a mass that goes mm. for it, and they're trying to reflect that. You see, yeah. Um, uh, so a lot of it is around um, trying trying not to sort of separate. Well, these are billmen, and these are yeah. You know, that's one unit, and that's that's good men at arms, and they're another unit, and there's knights, and they're so they don't do it like that because yeah. everybody would be in together. So yeah. 
No, interesting, interesting um, take on on the periods, and um, I, I, I've seen a lot of um, stuff about it on on the internet and a few playthroughs and stuff. So uh, seems to be doing very well, which is excellent. Yeah, it's a real labour of love for them. You know, they're, they're yeah. very passionate and um, they're clever, they're clever blokes as well, yeah. um, uh, as you'd expect. Uh, and, and it's um, they put a tremendous amount of effort and research into it. They, they really, they really are doing it for the love of the periods, um, oh. the love of the rules, which is great. So yeah, fantastic. So that just brings me on to um, your your own youtube channel yourself and uh, i've noticed recently that the the masters interviews have returned it's back uh, it's back <laughs> yeah. so yeah. um i think it was yeah. colin wasn't it colin ashton it's colin ashton yeah, yeah that's who, right yeah who's, who's been on the show uh, himself um yes. and it was great to, to hear colin uh, great guy great collection of figures um really enthusiastic about his hobby and what he does um so have we got any more planned mate what's the what's the masters going forward uh yeah there's a couple of things i'd really like to do so i think now lockdown is lifting yeah um i'm really up for trying to turn some of these videos into things where i go to see people yeah um and turn them into video interviews or videos that are they're maybe not as quite as long but they're or in depth but they're, they're maybe something a bit more fun or interesting to them yeah. Um, so there's a couple of people who I don't want to say just because they're not 100 yeah. percent said yes yet. But there's, there's people who, who run uh, businesses and who um, have got really big collections that are, that are mm. absolutely fine or up for me paying them a visit sometime and doing mm. something fun with them. It's looking forward to doing that really because um, uh, the master's interviews is, is, is something that will, the format will always be around I think I'll probably always do because I, I love having those chats with people because you, you make friends from it yeah. I always learn something uh, and always genuinely interested in what they've got to say and what they've done with their lives and mm. their collections it, it, I suppose they were kind of part of a necessity because you were, you know everything's being done over Zoom you can't go and see a person mm. so I'm looking forward to taking it out a little bit again now yeah, I've had that experience with um, Pete Morby from Elite Miniatures. Um, I went on the road and I went down to see Pete at Elite uh, with me with my little handheld uh, microphone thing, and I, and I really enjoyed that. I mean, sometimes there's practicalities with this sort of stuff with. Uh, time and uh, and what have you of going to see people and you know bobbing down to the south coast yeah. or wherever yeah, it's, maybe, it's probably not practical for me up in leeds but um just bobbing over to uh, donny don sunny doncaster uh yeah. w- w- was not much of an issue so no i i look forward to seeing those mate i think they're really good but well, one of the things is that you know being in nottingham um mm. there's so many people and businesses and places really that i can just get to in 20 minutes yeah yeah you're, <laughs> so, you're a, so you're a make, lucky boy. use of it lucky I, boy. I really lucky boy. I, ve- I very much am. lovely well um just before we finish off then uh, i'll just ask you what your your sort of current and future plans are gaming wise then um you're obviously you, you're big into the wars of the roses is that finished now or are you still on with that project yes yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of the back burner now um yeah. because obviously it was building up to mm. um, St. Albans 1, put a lot of effort into that. And then I was due to get the whole collection out pretty much for mm. Hammerhead. Because ah. um, David and Tim very kindly said, you know, we're going to be bringing Test of Resolve to Hammerhead. Would you like to bring your figures, Chris? Bearing in mind oh, that you're wow. 20 minutes down yeah. the road away yeah. from Scotland. And I said, absolutely, <laughs> that's no problem, lads. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, and I was really looking forward to that. Because yeah. yeah. I've, not, I've not really had my collection at a show. 
yeah. um, before. Um, so when they said that, I was like, absolutely, no problem. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> I'll see you there. So I was starting to paint towards the game that they were doing, which was, was it Hexham? So I was painting yeah. towards that um, when How Ahead got cancelled. Um, yeah. Totally understandably, by the way. Yeah. Um, so we're not doing that. But, yeah. but I, hope, I hope to get the collection out, yeah. either for, for a rearranged version of that. And I'm off to Bill Hooks Bash in September as well, which is a Never Mind the Bill Hooks event yeah. in Derby, which I'm looking forward to. But then apart, apart from that, yeah, the, the, the building of the collection is going to take a bit of a backseat. There's a few bits of units that I'll keep doing um, because I'm now on with English Civil War. Um, ah, the, the, new, just, the new project, started. the new hole that you've gone down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is partly, I mean, I, and I think I'm going to blame you for this. Oh, it's my um, fault again. <laughs> because, and Gareth, yeah. yeah. Because, because you know, just to speak into yourself and Gareth and talking about the visual appeal of big games and mm. what a big game actually is and how mm. you can get to quite a big game easier than you think you can if you change certain things. Yeah. You know, I'm going English Civil War reasonably big. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm doing early war parliamentarians at the moment. So start with um, Edge Hill, uh, and it'll probably you know to do what I did with Roses. I'll build up towards just get for starters, just get to sort of two three hundred aside, and just then kick on yeah. from there, and probably not not stop until there's a good sort of um, five hundred aside. Yeah, and reasonably flexible as Civil War is, as we all know, because you know uniforms are, are there, but they're not really there there. Yeah, so you can play around and be flexible a lot. Um, and also, there's the I hate to say it, but there's plastics around for, for Civil War. You know, there's there is there's warlord plastics, which I think in some cases make absolute sense, um, particularly with the cavalry. Yeah. Um, so I'm probably going to do a mixture of metal and plastic. Yeah, the um, so looking forward to that. Yeah. The, the the plastic English Civil War came out just after I'd finished my English Civil War army, so all mine are metal. Um, so, uh, and, there's, <laughs> uh, and there's rather a lot of them. Uh, yeah. So, uh, other friends have got plastics uh, ACW, and, it, and it's a great period to get into. Um, and there's lots of you know decent sized bottles uh, to have a go at as well. So, uh, have you, have you yeah. thought are you going to go for Pike and Shot for rules, or, or was it to kill a king? Not I sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, typically being me, I just I like to start off with something really simple and gentle. As soon as I've got enough figures, yeah. So, so I'll probably do Parkman's, Parkman's Lament first, um, just because it's skirmish and I can just get them out on the table really fast, and then yeah. I can say, "Right, well, I've painted this many." Off we go, and I can just get into it. Um, and so I'll start with that, and then I'll build up to something like Pike and Shot. Yeah, I think the best best thing about Civil War is like Wars of Roses. The history is all around this area and across across the country. And it's just great inspiration everywhere for it. So, yeah, because the, the English Civil War Museum's Newark, is it? I can't remember. Newark. It, I was there the other day. Oh, yeah. were you? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's one place yeah. I've, I haven't been. Um, it's good. Yeah, yeah it's I good. must go. I must go and have a look around. Well, it it's, been, it's been brilliant having you on, mate, and just uh, a short little catch up there. But it's great to, um, for both myself and nice all the listeners, uh, who've, who've uh, kind of invested the time listening to you in the Walls of the Roses at the start, and to get a catch up and to see what happened uh, <laughs> so that's great yeah. so yeah. thanks once again it wasn't mate. all just talk <laughs> it wasn't all just talk it actually happened no, it which actually is brilliant <laughs> so thanks very much Chris uh, and uh, hopefully I will speak again take care it was lovely to catch up with Chris there and uh, have a 
a little bit of a chinwag about how the Wars of the Roses went and um, how things are going gaming-wise in general with young Chris. Um, if you've not already, then um, Winston underscore AB Arise um, on Twitter and on YouTube. Well worth follow. His instructional videos, his introductionary videos are really, really good. Um, we'll be hearing from the other part of the dynamic duo uh, from the first episode. Uh, I'll be speaking to Gareth Lane uh, later on in this episode. Uh, but first, um, I'm sure lots of us, um, those of us fortunate enough to be out and about gaming again, are back down in our local clubs and uh, gaming with friends that we've probably not seen for 18 months or more. So I thought it'd be a nice uh, idea on this episode to uh, bring in a voice who um, is a member of the Yorkshire Gamer crew and uh, also uh, one of the committee members at Leeds War Games Club. So I popped along to our new venue, Hicks Hall in Burley in Leeds, and I had a chat with uh, Andy Dickinson, who is uh, a friend for a very, very long time uh, about what's going on down at club. Welcome everyone, I'm at Leeds War Games Club, my little war games club, and I'm here to have a chat with all things Leeds War Games Club, because there's lots of things going on, and uh, here with me is one of the Yorkshire Gamer crew, and uh, <laughs> committee member, or what's your current position? Uh, secretary. Secretary. Director. Uh, 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 general dog body, <laughs> and game organiser for Factory. Excellent. So that, you just about do everything, don't you? So, so well, just, yes, it will fall apart if I didn't actually do anything. So, so just for everyone listening, then, what's your name? It's uh, Andrew Dickinson. All right, lovely. Thanks, Andy. Um, so, um, Leeds War Games Club, been going for quite a long time. And uh, you've got a rough idea, a bit of a history of what had the club? Uh, yeah, um, according to our, shall we say, elder statesman. Elder statesman, yeah. Because I was only five when it was actually uh, joined up. Uh, so it was uh, formed in 1972, so next year will be our 50th anniversary, yes. yeah. uh, which we I've just realised now, so it's a case of yeah, we've got to start, start, start planning the birthday party. Um, so basically, uh, three guys, uh, including current member uh, John Smith, um, had obviously gamed elsewhere, decided to make their own uh, uh, club in Leeds. Um, it moved around a few for a few years, it did down like Baths. It did. Uh, it shared a room with the model racing slot car, yep. Scale Electrics, yep. TM. Uh, before it actually uh, ended up at the Upper and Lower Whitley uh, Liberal Club uh, in the mid seventies, yep. which is the bit that I remember from. Yeah, I think I joined probably when I was six, so it would be probably just a year after the club started. Right, so that was seventy seven. Seventy. Well, seven, I think I first started gaming seventy four. Right, because I was. Definitely picked on at primary school for bringing, <laughs> for bringing minifig spacemen figures in. Oh, brilliant. Um, uh, um, I definitely remembered the sort of like third edition WRG rules. Yeah. Because it had ends and things in the back. Yeah. Oh, and the 73 versions of WRGs, was it the 1927 to 50 tank rules? Yes. Yeah. D6 kills everything. D6 kills everything. That's the Tigers are superb. Everybody, everything is a tiger. Yeah. Um, um, basically, we've, we've, I won't say we've been well done, but uh, 
79, uh, we organised a, um, a show for one of the competitions, which then transformed into Fiasco, which was first held at the Queen's Hotel, which is right next to the um, railway station. The railway yes, station. Yeah. Stayed there for a few years. Uh, then we moved to Army Baths. Yeah. We went to Putsy City Hall, then Army Baths, because that was bigger. Yeah. Um, since 1996, when it opened, uh, we've held Fiasco at the Royal Armouries Museum. Brilliant. So in terms of um, club location then, uh, I first went when it was the Liberal Club and that would have been in the late 80s. Yeah. And then we've moved around a bit since then. Horsforth, a bit more Horsforth. Yeah. Uh, where else have we been? Uh, the Headingley Club, which yeah. was the old servicemen's club, which is just next to the uh, uh, cricket ground, which yeah. made it interesting when there was a test match on. <laughs> exactly. Um, stayed there for a while yeah. until last year. Um, where uh, basically we had one of our members um, uh, pass away and um, the silly soft left us uh, quite a legacy uh, with specific instructions to buy somewhere where we, was, where we could gain <laughs> as long as we wanted. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, he passed away three years ago. Uh, it's taken us a few years. We've had a couple of, uh, shall we say, hopes dashed. Yeah. Uh, we put a bid in for a, an office building, yeah. um, which uh, fell through. There was another uh, building in Armley uh, that uh, looked fine for us, and then we found out it was actually a Grade Two listed building, and some work had been mm -hmm. done to it. So we went, we're not touching that with a barge pole. Uh, I found a working men's club that I loved, but I don't drive, so everybody with a car says we're not moving there because we like our cars. It was allegedly. It was definitely in one of the less salubrious areas of Leeds. It was, but uh, I mean, uh, I mean financially, yeah, it needed some work, but we just still kept the working men's club there, so we'd have actually yeah. been cost neutral. Uh, yeah. uh, but eventually, after I say we looked at a church. That was probably full of asbestos, so yeah. I mean construction, so it's going no. <laughs> um, and just over a year ago, actually, one of the club members, in fact, John again, um, mm. mentioned that um, this hall was up for sale uh, and he knew about it because his first job was actually in the factory next door. Ah, right, yeah, that's how he knows uh, it. So um, the Haddon Hall Picture House yeah. uh, was built in 1905. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's 116 years old mm. uh, and was a cinema until 1960, mm. at which point it got converted into, surprisingly enough, a bingo hall. Ah, bingo. Legs 11. Legs 11. Clicking to click. Ah, well, yeah, definitely legs if they're falling over. <laughs> um, it still has a bingo hall until it closed. Uh, there's a website which is British Cinema's bygone age. Ah. And there's a picture of it in 2005. Uh, and it's in a very sad state of affairs. Mm. Uh, it was built, uh, bought by a builder, put some money in, was going to convert it into um, a workshop, but eventually he ended up leasing it to a, uh, a dance school mm. from 2008. Uh, when COVID hit, uh, the dance school, uh, basically their lease was coming up and they couldn't really mm. meet. Um, so there were some arrangements, so they decided not to renew their lease, but just come to a month by month mm. uh, rent, at which point the guy said, well, I'll sell it then. Yeah. And we went, yes, please. Yeah. 
Uh, it took us about six months to go through all the rigmaroles of trying to find mm. what was wrong with the place, what we needed to pay solicitors. Uh, and eventually we purchased it uh, just before Christmas in 2020. Uh, we're about to move in when the next set of lockdowns turned up, so we actually started gaming in June. Yeah, so there's quite a long way in a quite a long yeah, time I mean, between. Yeah, I mean, we like, yeah. since we kissed, well, since the time we said, yes, we'll buy it, please. Yeah. Uh, so it took us four or five months to actually purchase, mm. and then we got to let it live follow as it yeah. were for under five months. Mm. Um, so if we go go back to that, and I'm sure we won't mind mentioning yep. his name, and the, the, the guy was called Brian, Brian Hicks, Hicks. and um, it's safe to say that Brian was a character. Well, we're stood, <laughs> we're, we're, we're stood in a room with most of his collection. Uh, he was very big on ships. Yeah. Some of these ships are very big, including a scratch-built turpits in 10 mil scale. Yeah. Uh, which he took around on shows, and we tried to sink it with swordfish. So that, that, so that, that, that Bismarck's, what, four or five foot long? About, yeah, four and a bit. And, and what, it's, what it's it was, all made... Brian's no. is, there is a one that's a kit. Right, right. But basically, there is. Um, he was buying the magazine where you, you know, ah, right, buy yeah. a bit. Yeah. And it, 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 it gives you a sheet of plywood and stuff yeah. like this. Yeah. So he's building this. He's also built a hood. Yeah. We've also got a box full of a Japanese aircraft carrier <laughs> around here somewhere. But he realised yeah. that all this bolsters type stuff mm. or MDF was laser cut. So once he punched his thumb out, he mm. still had the rest of the thing. And he thought, uh, what I will do is I'll get my cornflakes packets because everything Brian built was made of cornflakes packets. Yeah. And basically used the cutouts yeah. as a die to rebuild a, a waterline version. Mm. Um, he got Pendracken to uh, cast up some AA mounts and stuff mm. like that. But uh, it's made of Vosine sh uh, shampoo bottles. Mm. Aspirin lids. If you look carefully, you will see an amazing amount of junk yeah. that not, most people will throw away. I say, um, he probably lived off cornflakes because if you, <laughs> if you pick one of his uh, LSTs up, yeah. it says Kellogg's on the bottom. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, definitely get some photographs of that and put it on the YouTube yeah, version um, of this. I say, there's tugboats and GBs. So what, um, Brian put on quite a few games, didn't he, at shows and yeah, stuff, so what, uh, would, what would people remember, what would stick out? Uh, if it was 30 foot by 12 foot, it was probably Brian. Yeah. Uh, I remember, Rotter I, yeah. Did I, Rotterdam and St. Nazaire are probably the two ones yeah. that people just went, oh my God, yeah. what have you done? Because St. Nazaire <laughs> had virtually every single building, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, um, there's actually... It's, I think it's in the other room, or it might be at Rob's house. Yeah. There's a, a box game, I think it was an SPI box game called The Raid on St. Nazaire. Yeah. And basically they took the board game and the rule sets for that and made it in 10 mil, including the dock, which is probably where they got the idea of uh, using um, uh, XPS foam, which was a was yeah. another big fan of. Yeah. So he actually made the dock, so he actually had to make the turpits to actually make sure it fit. In the dock, just to make sure, just to make just sure, to show, yeah. just, to, just to make sure, uh, including the Campbell Town uh, ramming the gates, and then uh, a lot of um, ten mil commandos running around the, the the town creating havoc. Yeah, so because the first the first Brian game that I remember, 
um, was at the Armley fiasco yep. where he turned one of the uh, squash courts yep. into a Battle of Britain. Um, yeah, command uh, that. that we, 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 this is where we made our first mistake. Um, <laughs> you would never ever mention project idea to Brian because he'd have actually done it by the week after or yeah. sketched something out or done yeah. something. So I, you know, jokingly said, well, there's a little corridor, uh, there's three three um, uh, badminton courts, uh, sorry, squash courts, yeah. and a corridor over the top so you can actually walk. Mm. And I thought that would make a great viewing platform <laughs> for the uh, control centre yeah. at Maidstone or wherever it was yeah. for five group during the Battle of Britain. And I thought, you know, I, I was in a reenactment, and I'm sure I, was, I could get some of the dancers mm. in the reenactment to dress yeah. up as wax and yeah. know, get sticks and move things around. Uh, a couple of weeks later, there's some 20 mil thick um, marine ply yeah. being painted green and blue with hexes mm. on it. That's, I think that was 15 by 12. Mm. And it's got all the airfields, all the targets, yeah. and it made little. Um, they indicate little uh, yeah. shuffle board things that you see yeah. on the film, and uh, even made you know broom handles with sticks yeah. on the end so you could actually move things around. And it's a case of I'm not wearing a skirt, <laughs> uh, so I did that a couple of times. In fact, I say uh, he repurposed a lot of stuff into uh, the German attack at Rotterdam in 1940, uh, which is why we've got around about 300 Dutch mm. um, buildings, buildings yeah. in our terrain. Um, store. So, in terms of in terms of megalomania, then he oh, is yes. well. He's not quite up to your level in figure wise. Right. Okay. I was trying to get myself but, out of it there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I would say. I mean, we're, we're looking at fifty to sixty really useful boxes full of stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is plastic and airfix, and yeah. but then all of a sudden you pick up some World War Two desert, and, and you think, ah, that's actually metal. Yeah. Uh, what is my back hurt. Yeah. I mean, this box has got a 4-1 box in 28mm. Yeah. I mean, why? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he also got uh, redid uh, the Battle of Toshima yeah. uh, in uh, 1-600 scale. Yeah. But he also bought the ships in 1-3000 scale, so you can actually gain the approach to the actual battle in one scale. And um, yeah. uh, once the guns opened up, you swap to the bigger scale. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gained the same battle in two scales. That, that is definitely Not beyond. at the same time. At the same time, no. That's definitely beyond me, I have to say. Um, so, um, in, in honour of Brian, then, the, the name of the hall yes. has been changed. Uh, it is now, uh, instead of Haddon Hall, uh, it is now uh, Hicks Hall. Mm. Which I've now learned that you know if you want to name a hall after a person, you've got to get it all signed off by mm. all the family members. So yeah. that was oh, okay then. Um, <laughs> so it's been a learning experience. But yes, uh, Higgs Hall uh, was uh, named uh, in July, which was yeah. sort of like coming. You know, was our first open day. Yeah. So uh, so the, the the open day then um, went quite well. There's quite a few people. Coming yeah, in. there's quite a few in. Uh, so you yourself did race to the. North or South? Yeah, the, 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 yeah, the one, the first bit. The first I bit. Think, yeah, I always think it's race to the south first. Well, I don't, yeah, anyway, I can't remember. Yeah, south. The one way, way, come yeah, back. The one without the 15-inch battleships. Yeah. Um, and then we had some board games. Um, we also had a visit from uh, Pendrakin, uh, because they, it was supposed to be the same weekend as Hammerhead, hmm. but that got cancelled. But they'd already booked uh, the hotel, which was 
they, they couldn't cancel, so they mm. went down to have a good night with some mates down there, and then on the way back they popped in and set up shop in our drive, mm. and oh, I bought decals and <laughs> some World War Two stuff that yeah. I didn't really need to buy, but it was there, and I'd not bought anything for a year, and it just felt nice. Yeah. So just for the for the people listening, I'm just kind of describe yeah. what we what, what we've got uh, here. At the so we've got a, a, a main hall. Um, I think we can get well. I'm a draftsman, so surprisingly enough, I drilled the place. <laughs> uh, I think we can get sixteen six by fours in there if we're cosy. Yeah. Uh, which of course we want now because yeah. we're, we're, we're we're being sensible and socially distanced. Uh, there's a back hall that we hope to have a 16 by 6 table uh, and upstairs which will be another 12 by 6 which is basically where we're standing now yeah. uh, a little mezzanine on the other side which will end up being a like a role playing game mm. a quiet game or something like that yeah. uh, which is handy because it's actually got a, a window looking mm. down uh, onto the main hall. Yeah. So we will be playing campaign games where the commanders cannot leave, Excellent. and we'll have to text people that no, the other <laughs> left. Uh, so um, I, I mean, we've played at at your house for for, for so many years, and it's yeah. a case of you know even your table isn't big enough to do some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, but now we get the opportunity to set up a game, and if it isn't finished in the night, you don't have to pack it up because the cleaners are turning up the next yeah. day. And we've had, we've had games that have gone over three weeks, so campaigns, multiple games, big games. Shall we say a lot of the membership is the slightly advancing, mature, 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 mature age. Yeah. Um, so because we actually own the place, um, if you want to get turn up on a wet Tuesday at half past ten in the morning mm. and game for a whole day with three, three or four of your mates, you can mm. do. Um, we're yeah. opening it up for other clubs we've mm. got um we'll be hosting the northern doubles uh, in a few weeks time uh, i'm trying to set up a battletech weekend uh which is, is ending up being a fight between the harrogate club and the bradford battletech battalion yeah uh, yeah and that'll have random mercenaries coming in from other places from around the country yeah so yeah all, all in all it, it's kind of wide in the scope of gaming that we can do yeah and it's uh, scary yeah it is now that we thought that we were limited to the 12 by 6 in my my house yes. and now we are not limited to anything so uh, look out the world largest, i think is the i point. think the largest table could probably fit in is you know, 40 foot long something yeah, like that downstairs probably 40 foot yeah, yeah. probably 40 foot and then probably a couple of those so yeah i'll have to get the scale rule out so if you're firing across the gap yeah yeah but uh, all, all perfectly doable and all perfectly normal for us which i mean is the right point now. i mean i've got 3d printer so i'm actually printing out fifth guards armored for absolutely no reason whatsoever <laughs> the, the fact that i might be able to get a 60 foot long table <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Well, the record for a market garden table is currently 72 feet from John Lander, um, who was on the uh, episode 10, uh, and he did it in 54 mil. Oh, well, well. Right, no, I mean, I, I, we'll be doing it in 10 mil. Yeah, um, and 64. So, 10 mil and 60 foot. Well, I'll, I'll, what we'll do is we'll do 60 foot, then turn a corner, and then do the other 60 so foot. 120 back. foot, so we oh, might we'll, be able to we'll beat John's record. Yep. I like that, I like that. 
Um, we, have, we have enough tables. <laughs> Fantastic. So just to finish off then, um, you mentioned briefly during the during the, the history that uh, the club runs a show called Fiasco. Yep. And um, that is now and has been for quite a long time at the Royal Armouries in Leeds. Uh, yeah, about um, 92, it was announced that uh, the Royal Armouries outgrown the Tower of London. As in, they had a shed full of <laughs> metal bits, shinies. Yeah. And uh, they were looking for a place to move. Uh, they looked at Sheffield, and eventually the uh, Leeds was selected at Clarence Dock. And we became involved with the Friends of the Royal Armouries. Um, so they came to Fiasco for fo- them about four years before the museum opened up. Um, Ironically, yeah, Brian weapons just, and stuff, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so they the, the did saw the, the, the displays and the, the mm. models to say what the museum was going to look like. Um, in fact, Brian actually worked on the building because he was a plumbing yeah. engineer, yeah. so he was on the design team for the museum itself. And I say, um, June '96, we moved in. Um, someone not a million miles away uh, was chairman at the time, and we were quite worried because it was a new place. And I do believe the phrase was, if we get less people than last time, I will eat my shorts. <laughs> Basically because it clashed with an England game in Euro 96. It and did, everybody's did. quite, in, quite, yeah. quite excited. Yeah. Um, we may have abandoned... Um, yes. A certain, a, certain of, a certain members of the committee could possibly have been found in the big cinema watching the England-Spain game, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and, and the penalty <laughs> shootout. And the penalty shootout, yeah. Uh, so we actually went back down to the hall and uh, helped pack up uh, Smiley. Yeah. Um, the following year, um, the Amrys actually uh, changed their policies. Uh, so they had like um, travelling exhibitions and, and whatever was actually going to be uh, in the summer so we swapped a fiasco from our normal June date to um, the end of October um, very cleverly I think we actually did it at the last Sunday of October so we always get an extra hour in bed because yeah. the clocks come yeah. back yeah. clever move oh, I see that's the, the best <laughs> move ever made by World Games Club ever so since 97 um, we've been here every year uh, in October, um, the Army's built uh, their own conference centre, uh, which was more friendly for actually putting mm. things in because it's yeah. designed as a conference centre. Yeah. Uh, Royal Army's Hall is very nice if you're sat around a, um, a table uh, wearing a dicky bow and yeah. listening to uh, an Elvis, uh, Elvis impersonator. Yeah. But the lighting's not wonderful for a mm. trade show. Yeah. Uh, so in the last about 12 years we've been in... Well, originally it was called the Jimmy Savile. The Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Jimmy Savile. And for some strange reason, I can't quite put my finger on it. It's been changed. It was actually very strange because um, he passed away the day before Fiasco uh, a few years ago, yeah. and the commiseration book was actually uh, in the front hall. We thought, oh, you know, nice. We've got like, a lot of people coming in yeah. and whatever. I mean, it was a bit strange because it did have the three-wheeler and the um, Jim will fix it chair fixed onto the wall. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> things being <laughs> what they are, yeah. surprisingly enough, uh, it changed its name by the year after. Yeah. So it's now no, Saddle Hall. No, no surprise there. So it's, um, it's it's obviously not been on. Is it? Is it been two years or one year they missed because of COVID? Uh, we missed last year. Yeah, so just um, one year. 
So it's uh, Halloween this year, 31st of October. Yeah. Uh, we've it's been in November once uh, because a lot of the club are uh, American football fans and they may or may not have clashed. So we may, <laughs> we, we're not saying we moved Fiasco yeah. so we could go down to Wembley. But we did. But we did. Yeah, we um, did. So I say it's the last Sunday in October. Um, we were quite worried about you know cancellation fees and stuff like that, but the uh, Royal Army's International rang up and said, nope, we've just booked you for next year. Brilliant. And just popped us across. Yeah. Anything different this this time? Um, yeah. They, I mean, there's a, a few of the trade of either cease trading or sold up or yeah. just not really looking forward to doing mm. anything this year. So we're losing a couple of traders, which means that there's more space for the games. Uh, hopefully, we, we can have the same sort of number of games or even less. Mm. So we're... Um, probably looking for a bit more space between each. Um, so that's kind of giving you an opportunity then to space it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's the, the the Royal Armies are quite big on their health and safety and access, and yeah. so my mm. I always make sure there's mm. eight foot gaps between everything, so you can get wheelchairs through, and you don't have to knock figures over because mm. you're trying to bend over yeah. on this trade stand, and unlike you know a few of the places we've been to where. Yeah. And um, if people aren't aware, people haven't been to Fiasco before, um, I think it's quite important to point out that it is within 20 steps of the main museum. Yeah, um, I mean, it and is. And the main museum is free to go um, in. So you can come along, spend the morning at Fiasco or the afternoon at Fiasco, and the other half of the day with the family in. Uh, yeah, in the I hours. mean, we've. Um you know, we've had people say, that's not what that was used for. Mm. And I'm sure some people turn around and says, well, they've got one. We'll have a look, shall we? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the actual museum itself is um, 21, isn't it? It is 21. Yeah. yeah, so it's its 25th anniversary. Yeah. Um, there's going to be some work to it, which yeah. I may or may not be involved with. Mm. Um, but I said, I mean, there's exhibitions, they've got the only surviving set of elephant armour around. Mm. They've got a very large, very um, spectacular uh, Japanese collection, mm. uh, including you know, samurai blades that are mm. 500 years old and you think, that's still sharp. Yeah, that still looks uh, brand new. That looks brand new. And then for those of you who remember the last episode, I, I spoke to David Marshall and talked about his Agincourt diorama. Uh, and that's also on display at yeah, Royal Armouries. Um, Excellent. Well, inc including a, pa a Parvia display. A Parvia which, display. Which may or may not, not be important in a few years' it time. It may be. And, and speaking of, of displays of Italian wars, are you expecting any games uh, of that at Fiasco? I've no idea. It depends if anybody sends an email <laughs> saying, hello, please, can I have a 12x6 game for... Ah, I thought, oh, which, I, I thought I had. Well, <laughs> it, it was inferred. Yeah, right, okay. You're on the list. I'm on the list, I'm on the list. I might get in, I might get in, and I might be there, everyone, so come and say hello. Uh, if, if you yeah, because I mean, that was the... Was it the second time Jutland came out? Yes. Yeah, it yeah. was the second time Jutland came the Royal Armour, so we have been there before. Um, so, thanks very much for ten, no taking the time to uh, talk to us tonight, Andy, and... Uh, Come and have a chat with us uh, if you see me at Fiasco. I shall be in my new Yorkshire Gamer t-shirt, uh, which is the latest hoot couture. So thanks again, Andy, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Okay, thanks.
Great talking with uh, my old mate Andy there, um, back at the Leeds War Games Club, and that was the second outing for my little uh, Zoom voice recorder. And uh, the room we were in had a lovely sort of reverb sound. Um, I'm sure it'd be great for uh, recording a rock album. It's uh, it really did sound good in there. Um, so. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll be putting my Italian World stuff on uh, as a game at uh, Fiasco. So as I said in the interview, uh, Bob along, I'll have my Yeah Actually Game t-shirt on and uh, just come along and have a chat. And um, I'll look forward to seeing you down there. Um, so this sort of format is, uh, is great for this sort of thing, you know. Um, little half an hour with uh, Andy just talking about Leeds War Games Club and um, the new hall and the uh, the upcoming show at Fiasco. And nice little news piece um, and uh, suits this format a, a lot better, I think, than the, the long form uh, two hour shows, which are not going away. Um, by any stretch of the imagination uh, the next episode, episode 14 that I'll talk about at the end of uh, uh, this podcast um, is back on back on course, back on for the normal uh, show format um, so next up um, we're going back to the dim and distant past of episode 1 uh, and I'm going to talk to uh, the other member of the dynamic duo and that's Gareth Lane and just before I go to that interview I'd just like to say that this is the most expensive um, interview I've done so far to date uh, because uh, I'm going to apologise now for a little bit of the sound quality issues um, and it was all down to me at this end with my um, old HP 255 laptop um, which I have discovered is about nine years old and um, I've been running the podcast with it uh, since the pilot episode and uh, it was always a little bit quirky and I'd always have to like turn it half on half an hour before I did an interview so it could warm up and start working enough to uh, actually do an interview. And um, it kind of decided that enough was enough and it was going into voluntary retirement on uh, Monday night when I spoke to Gareth and it took about 45 minutes um, to get the interview set up uh, so thank you Gareth for your patience and uh, eventually when we got there it uh, it was playing up all the way through and there was a delay and everything um, so um, after I recorded this interview with Gareth I went straight online and uh, got myself a new laptop so uh, this uh, show's been put together on there and um, yeah, fingers crossed it will uh, make things a little bit quicker and speed things up no end. Um, but here we go. Here is a quick catch up with uh, Gareth Lane, better known as Lord Raglan. So back uh, six months ago we were we were speaking to Chris Breeze who we, we spoke to at the start of the show and, and the other guest on that episode one um, that leap of faith with uh, doing a podcast with the with the Yorkshire Gamer is uh, Gareth Lane so uh, welcome back on the show mate. Thank you Ken cheers nice to be back. When we spoke um, six months ago we were we were in the middle of lockdown and we'd not seen anyone for a while and um, you, you were kind of planning for the Wars of the Roses event and, and the, the big St Albans bash at uh, Shed HQ. Um, so uh, how did that go, mate? 
It was a really successful event, actually. It, it couldn't have gone better. Um, everybody turned up on time, which was great. Yep. Um, everybody remembered their miniatures, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we set up really quickly. Uh, I think what, for me, what um, was the highlight of the day was that, you know, apart from myself and Jeff, uh, the rest of us hadn't met before. Yeah. Um, we'd gone like a house on, uh, like a house on fire. And um, we used a set of rules that, um, you know, neither uh, any of us were familiar with. None of us were familiar with those rules whatsoever. Um, and, and we just cracked through it. And yeah. it, it was great. It was really good fun. And um, the, the the big build project for St. Albans Town, that looked quite good. Yeah, that's, um, it was, it, it was uh, I think it looked quite spectacular on the table. Um, you know, it it, it's, um, it was very fitting. I thought the uh, uh, the setup of the town. And and uh, did, I think you got in a few pieces of terrain from elsewhere, or did, was it all your own work in the end? No, no. Um, Chris brought them down. Um, I think Jeff brought them down as well. And uh, a guy that I'd, I'd bought some stuff from previously uh, had made me the um, St Albans Clock Tower. Oh, which brilliant. really really set it off, you know. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And um, apart from that game, have you been regularly gaming since? I haven't stopped actually. <laughs> um, it's it's been great. I've just played so many games uh, in the last six months. It's just been brilliant to get back around the table and just have a crack with people, you know. Yeah. Um, so um, we, we we're supposed to be playing this this Sunday coming up, but uh, unfortunately, um, one of my uh, my friends' uh, daughters has got COVID now. Oh. Um, no. So um, she um, yeah, we're gonna play it safe and um, and call it off and, and do it another day. But uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, I, I've in fact I've gained more in the last six months, um, you know, um, than I think I've done in years. Yeah, I remember say I remember you saying in that first interview that um, you'd kind of not reaped the benefit of being on Twitter because you were because of COVID. Um, so, have you met up with with uh, any new people and and gamed with with people you've met during COVID? Um, it, no new people have come down. Yeah. Um, I, I say it's, it's been games that I've been with before. We've played a lot of games. Um, yeah. You know, you, you may have seen stuff on Twitter that we did the ultra modern. Modern. Yeah. Uh, we played uh, again, sort of more, you know, medieval battles. Um, so um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, we, there's definitely been a bit of a bit of variety across the um, the the period spectrum. Yeah. And, and have you found um, a greater enthusiasm from everyone to to get gaming again? Oh yeah, I mean everybody was super keen to get back. You know, so <laughs> it, it was just lovely to see people, you know, turning up at the house and you know sitting down with them and having a chat about what we we're going to do, and then getting out into the garden and doing some, you know, having some lunch as well, you know, yeah. and, and uh, it, just making a day of it, you know. So there was none sort of last minute. Oh, I can't really be bothered. All oh, that's gone now. It's uh, I, yeah, totally. I think people are just. Um, um, yeah, they've they're ready for it now, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think people have kind of realised that what we took for granted beforehand um, could suddenly just be taken away. So get out there and have a few games and uh, enjoy them. I think's the the lesson that we should give to everyone from from that. So um, 
with the with the games that you've been playing, then uh, you, you were just starting your Italian Wars when we uh, we last spoke, uh, and I think um, it's fair to say there's been a, a bit of progress. There's, there's been a fair bit of progress. <laughs> I mean, nowhere near the amount that I that I was planning. I yeah. mean, I, by by August, I think I wanted to have both sides yeah. fully painted. Um, I, I've not achieved that. Um, I, I've got the um, a, a fair-sized French army painted, yeah. um, and I've I've got parts of the um, the Italian Spanish, you mm. know, sort of uh, in progress. Um, but I, I I got diverted um, about <laughs> yes. halfway through. <laughs> started reading stuff around the uh, retreat from Moscow yeah and um, yeah that um, that definitely drew drew on my time um, but I did I, I did have a little bit of a lull as well in painting which is unusual for me yeah um, you know sort of mid midsummer um, I think work was quite busy as well so um, I, I, I dropped off my my usual you know productivity um, which uh, which slowed it down again but yeah. I don't think there's any reason why the Italian Wars project can't be finished by um, by the end of this year. Yeah, because I think you you were planning, weren't you, on sort of sticking with the Italian Wars for a, until it was done. Um, and then what was what was the what was the bug? What was the thing that sidetracked you onto the uh, retreat from Moscow? Well, I think when we spoke, I, I had um, a World War One project and some Vietnam stuff to do. Yeah, and I did that quite quickly within the, within a month of us talking. Um, and then I just say, say just crack on it or crack on with the Italian move. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I think um, it, it was a bit of reading that I was doing, um, you know, stuff I was watching on, on YouTube. And I just thought it would be really interesting to do. It would be something different for the guys to play. Because um, that's one of my my things that I, I'd like to to offer people different gaming experiences when, yeah. they, when they come to the Shed yeah. HQ. They, they may not have done somewhere else, so um, so the, the the retreat kind of you know fitted into that quite nicely. Yeah. Um, so when you, uh, I think you've had the Italian war stuff on the table. Was it was it last weekend? No, no, that was that was uh, when I went up to Westbury yeah. uh, to play with with Ian. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was completely his collection. Ah, was it? I didn't I didn't know whether that was yours as well. I thought and, I didn't know whether you'd taken it uh, on the road, so to speak. No, the 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 tally walls, uh, they remain unblooded at the moment. Uh, are they? Oh, that's a, that's a real shame. Hopefully, hopefully soon they'll they'll get a game in, which would be great. Uh, and what what rules did you use with, with Ian? So Ian Ian um, made his own rules up, okay. um, which, uh, which he's been developing over a couple of years. Uh, I have to say, it was great fun. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Have you? So you've not had a chance to try Furioso out yet. No, still, it's still. I've done lots of reading. I'm yeah. ready to go. I got my cards ready. You know, oh, yeah. to, to play. So, uh, really looking forward to it. I just need to find a local gamer now that has a, a an opposing force uh, until I actually finish um, painting the uh, manuals. Uh, mine done. Yeah. Oh, well, well, fingers crossed. You will find uh, somebody near nearby. Um, what's what, you've got other projects on the go though? I've I've seen a, a very large box of uh, stuff arrive at Shed HQ on the on the Twitter. Um, is is are you? What, what's this project and where's that where's that come from? So, so again, kind of sticking with the Italian War, doing some reading around that. 
Um, I was looking at the um, the Aztecs and you know yeah. and what the Spanish did across there, and I thought, well, the, you know, I've got a jungle now from Vietnam. <laughs> I, I just need to add some some choice pieces, you know, of, of yeah. uh, Aztec ar- architecture on there. And um, you know, I would be good to good to go from a from a, a you know a terrain perspective. Yeah. I also, you know, I always think it's quite nice if you if you have got. Um, some nice terrain layouts. If yeah. you can, you could have a couple of periods that yeah. you can use with those layouts. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely a lot more more cost effective, isn't it? it yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I've I've always I've always fancied doing the Aztecs. I just think it's a colourful period, um, and um, you know, have, have them fighting the Spanish across there. I think that could be um, a, a lot of fun. And, and you'll have a bit of um, crossover with your Spanish from the Italian Wars, I would imagine. Exactly, yeah. That's that's where I was thinking that uh, uh, do the Spanish now, and uh, you know I've, I I can use them for both periods. Uh, well, I managed to catch up uh, with David Marshall, the the terrain master himself, in the last episode, um, and, and you've been you've been knocking out some terrain yourself, haven't you? I've seen like a ginormous Aztec building, uh, and then there was another like government building or something. Are these being printed? 3D printed, they are not by me, uh, yeah. by my friends, but um, yeah, so they, they'll add into, into the collection. And so, what are you doing? Are you, you ordering it from them and they and then you're building them up and doing the detail? No, I, as I said to you previously, I, I'm not a, I'm not a train maker. Yeah, I wondered um, if you changed suddenly. That was no, all. <laughs> I, I did some, uh, I did some, uh, um, the Vietnam jungle, um, uh, and yeah. um. And that was okay, and um, I, I think it's you know it matches the stuff that uh, uh, that Tony Bragg does does for me, yeah. um, you know quite quite nicely. But it's not to the quality yeah. I think that Tony can produce um, terrain. So um, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with um, with, with buying yeah. terrain <laughs> off others. Yeah, well, you're sticking with me because I buy all my terrain as well, and I I think I think the um, it was fascinating speaking with David because I always, after about 30 seconds of a terrain project, just lose interest completely and, and start painting a figure. Um, so to, to, to speak to somebody who does that all the time was very interesting. Uh, is it? Well, I, uh, yeah, go on. I, I was going to say, Kenny, it's such a messy blooming job as well, isn't it? Yeah. It just everywhere. And you yeah. just need a lot of space, don't you? Know, for, yeah. to, to build it and let it dry. And and uh, I, I know Dave's got a you know his his, his workshop up there now that he's he's renting yeah. out. Perfect, you know, for him. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, you know, I can understand if you if you're doing it away from the house, uh, yeah. in a in a purpose built some you know building. That's that's awesome. Yeah. But to um uh to, yeah to do it at home, it's uh, just <laughs> too messy. Yeah. Not it's for a- me. I can imagine there'd just be flock absolutely everywhere. It'd be like um, being on holiday and, and finding sand all over your your hotel room. I could just imagine flock all over his house for months at a time. Well, I think the word that my wife used, used to me was, I married you because you're a white-collar worker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very true. Very true. Let the, let the terrain workers do that sort of stuff. I think that's the way forward. <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. Any, um, anything that you've sold, any projects that, cause I know you, you occasionally get rid of things. You were, you were photographing some stuff up last time I spoke to you. Yeah. The, um, that huge Dutch collection has, uh, has departed. It's, um, it's gone over to Gloucester. Um, a friend of mine was interested in it. Yeah. Um, 
I never gamed with it. Um, and But I was at the point, I think, where, um, you know, something had to go. I had to create space. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about end games, don't we, in, in, in wargaming. And I think I am I am at that point now where if if I want a new collection, then something's going to have to give. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, the the Dutch shop was I say that made a nice little hole in my uh, my yeah. in my cabinet, um, <laughs> but I'm sure they're going to be filled quite quickly. Yeah. So are, are you are you thinking of that as go, going forward then of rotating stuff through if uh, if something new yeah, starts, definitely. something old has kind of got to yeah. go. I mean, it wasn't as if stuff was kind of falling off the shelves in, in Shell HQ, but it was at a point where I just felt it, it just felt a little bit claustrophobic, you know. Uh, I think it's quite nice if you have a game room where you're able to kind of walk around it, you know, around the table without, you know, climbing over boxes and things like that. So, um, you know, with, with this stuff going, I, I also sold my um, World War II collection as well, which, again, I don't have a lot of interest in. You know, I'm much yeah. modern. Yeah. Um, so that so that that's gone recently as well. So again, it's created some space um, for some other bits. You know. Yeah, because you've you've got quite a large Afghan collection, haven't haven't you? Is that yeah? Is that is that Russian Afghan sort of, or is it later? No, it's it's uh, I say it's it's later. It's um it's a US British um say Afghans uh, Iraqis. Um, but yeah, I, I think modern wargaming kind of is where my uh, my interests really lie. Mm. Um, you know, if I'm doing a skirmish, that that would be my you know my preferred period. And that is that is that around insurgent battles like that, or have have you thought about doing like modern tank warfare, Russians versus NATO, that kind of thing? No, I, I think I do enjoy the you know c- combined arms um, yeah. sort of. Uh, engagements um, around uh, around sort of between platoon and and company size, mm. um, yeah, that, that that kind of fits in really well. I think with you know what you can you can actually achieve with twenty eight mil on a on a twelve foot by you know five foot table. Mm. Yeah. So um, I, I've also seen that I mean not that you haven't got anything else to do, um, but are you taking part in um, Stephen Wald's um, Bavarian Challenge? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Stephen t- twisted my arm with that one. Did um, he? Yeah, he, he, he clocked on. Obviously, I was um, I was doing the retreat, and he said, "You know, barbarians will fit in there quite nicely." Well, I, I had a detachment uh, of uh, of French and and mm. of Poles. Um, so yeah, a small detachment of uh, Bavarians is not going to hurt at all. No, you you reckon? <laughs> and have you, have you been able to find? Bavarians in uh, like a suitable winter type thing, or no. yeah, oh, well, oh, I had to I had to bite the bullet and just go for berries. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, and I'm not skilled enough, you know, to to do um, green stuff, scarves and things like yeah. that, uh, which would be nice. Um, yeah. But it, it'll just look a mess if I try that. So it's yeah. gonna paint them and, yeah. and well, um, use the darker trousers. I think yeah. They Grays and browns uh, mm. in the winter, as opposed to the, you know the white attire. Yeah, well, um, he, he's not managed to persuade me to do anything yet. So I have had a look round, and um, I think there was a unit of Bavarians that fought in the Italian War of Independence, which was, is going to be my Christmas project. So uh, I'm not saying no yet because it's three months long. I think, isn't it the, the Bavarian challenge? Um, 
Well, I, I, yeah, it stopped in October, doesn't it? Is it October? All oh, right. Yeah, well, I'm, I, think I'm, I, I might safely miss it then. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on holiday in September, so that's going to cut a big hole in that time, unfortunately. Uh, and But uh, very much like yourself, I don't particularly need anything new to be going on with at the moment. Um, so just we'll just draw a little... Uh, this little chat to a close there, Gareth. And um, have you got any plans long term? Uh, any big games planned? Any new armies? What's what's your thoughts for the future? Um, well, I guess the five of the ones we've we've talked about already. Um, I, I do want to kind of bulk up the um, the World War One collection. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe get some some tanks in there as well. And I need to do um, a um, well, I say high. <laughs> Yeah. Um, a, a nice trench system, um, yeah. you know. So um, yeah, I think that would be the plan for um, probably uh, yes, spring. I say next next year. Yeah. Um, I think the Italian wars will you know will consume certainly consume the rest of this year. If I, if I want to get it finished, uh, then yeah. I really do need to kind of get my head done on it. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I I say I'll pull along with the Aztecs. Yeah. Uh, probably start start them next month, but um, you know it'll just be drips and drabs, really. And of, of all the figures um, come in for the Italian wars, they're just wait, waiting to be painted. Or are you um, are you still bringing stuff in? No, um, every, everything's everything's bought and it's and they're ready to go. Um, what, what I tend to do is is, is buy in bulk these days, um, as opposed to drips and drabs. You, usually, you can negotiate. Appreciate a, a you know visible discount. Oh, well, that's sensible. That's that's Yorkshire thinking. That is uh, making the most of your money. <laughs> well, it's been lovely talking with you again, Gareth. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, apologies with the we had a few technical issues before we started this, and uh, uh, we've had a few uh, sound issues. I think as we've gone through this, but uh, it's been great to talk to you again, mate. And hopefully, um, in this new world, we will get uh, to meet up and have a game uh, not that uh, distant future. Yeah, definitely. Thank you again, Ken, for inviting me on. No worries, Gareth. Uh, thanks a lot, mate. Thanks very much for that, Gareth. Uh, lovely chat and catch up there. Great to uh, have a, uh, a talk about all things uh, going on down at Shed HQ. Um, unfortunately, um, the final interview um, had to cancel late last night. Um, and um, that just leaves me with a slot at the end of this episode. And um, it was a bit late to try and call up somebody else to do an interview. So what I've decided to do is to bring forward a little section that was going to come into uh, the, pro the, the episodes uh, from uh, episode 15, I think I was planning to bring this in. And... Um, that's when I'm going to introduce a sort of a magazine episode with uh, multiple co-hosts as well as myself. And um, it's going to have a magazine feel to it. And part of that magazine was, of course, if you're our age, my age, um, is a problem page. So a wargaming problem page run by who else but Nora Batty. Ah, Nora, bless her. She knows everything about everything, and uh, you try and tell her any different, and, and good luck if you do. So, um, here we go with the first episode.
So late last night, it all went wrong and uh, we had to get a bit of a filler sorted and I brought forth this idea and I put it forward on the Twitters and uh, on the Facebook and um, just announced the the feature and asked people to send in their wargaming queries and problems using the hashtag hashtag ask our Nora and for any southerners that just means it's somebody that you know called Nora. So, hashtag A-S-K-O-U-R-N-O-R-A. And, of course, questions are closed for this week. Um, but I should be doing this again in about a month's time. And uh, I'm more than happy to answer any of your wargaming queries or problems uh, with the help of um, our Nora. Uh, so, Nora, are you too busy for this or are you okay to join in? I'm not doing anything. Oh, that's grand. Thanks very much, Nora. I'm looking forward to your uh, deep insights into the wargaming industry and uh, helping out members of the public. Just before we start, um, I just need to make sure that this is a comedy section and I may say things that people might be upset with and uh, this is purely for comedic effect, uh, especially if you are someone who likes to base their vehicles, for example. There may be some controversial uh, opinions coming up in the next half hour. So um, let's get on to have a look at some of the stuff that came up and um, lots of questions came in on the Twitters um, and only three on the Facebook. So the first question we're going to look at came in um, uh, on the Twitters quite shortly after I put the shout out. And this is from at Mad Axman. Uh, Mad Axman does a, a podcast, by the way, if you didn't know, uh, tune into that if you haven't already. And the question from, from them is, how do you make sure the Yorkshire tea mug doesn't get mixed up with the paint water mug? That sounds like a bit of personal experience there. What do you think, Nora? Does he know what he's doing? I don't think he does, love. I, I think he's getting confused because the, the Yorkshire tea mug, I think, will be glowing like simmering gold will glimmer in the moonlight. It will have a almost holy glow coming from it. And one could not possibly accidentally put your paint brush in there. Of course, you can do that with coffee because that just takes like dishwater anyway. Would you drink coffee, Nora? No. Quite right, too. Don't want any of that stuff on on this show. Uh, so I uh, hope we answered that question. And uh, let's move to the Facebook. And first question that came in there was from Barnaby Orr. Uh, hello, Barnaby. Big uh, long-time follower of Yorkshire Gamer. Uh, glad to have you on board. And uh, this one was, was quite a sensible question, I do have to say. Uh, Barnaby's asked, what do you think has changed the most in the hobby over the years? And what do you think are the most positive and potentially negative effects of those changes? Well, it's a good one. And um, it is going to be something that I am going to cover in a future episode because I'm going to speak to uh, uh, my friend and now um, author, uh, Dr. Stephen Barker. And Stephen was one of the first people I ever started gaming with back in the 80s. And um, he has um, recently returned to wargaming in his uh, golden years after many, many years off not gaming. Uh, still massive interested in in history he does battlefield tours and that sort of thing so he knows his stuff but he's uh, he's sort of come back to wargaming after a long time away um and i'm going to speak to this sort of thing but um to answer your question now briefly most positive thing is obviously 
Yorkshire Gamers Great Big War Games podcast. Where would we be without it? But putting that to one side, um, I think uh, the, the the hobby has changed massively over the years, and mostly due to the advent of the internet. It's so much easier now to obtain information to on uniforms on battles simply with a click of a button on on the on google or or wherever else and you can instantly obtain pictures of virtually every single manufacturer's uh, range of figures and you can order them immediately and now you're probably getting stuff delivered to your door within two or three days most of the time. Uh, and those of you, you old timers on here with me, you'll remember writing off and um, sending a stamped address envelope or a postal order to get um, a hand-printed catalogue. And nine times out of ten, they would never have any pictures of the figures in there. And when you did get round to ordering them uh, and managed to persuade your, your parents to uh, stump up a cheque, You'd be waiting six weeks or more for your figures to arrive. So I think that's very much the the positive of the hobby. It's a lot more accessible now for a lot more people, and it's a lot easier to research any project that you're going into. Negative effects, um, not so easy to say, really. I think we're very lucky at the moment in the way that the war games um, hobby stroke industry is going. Something that some people have said to me who are newer into the hobby is that there is a, a plethora of information, too much um, information, if you like. That's difficult for me to, to see from my viewpoint, from somebody who knows exactly what he wants and what he's going to look for and a battle to pick or a period to play. But I can see for somebody coming in uh, to the hobby fresh uh you know if you type in wargaming even if you type in a specific period of wargaming then lots of different stuff's going to come up it's very difficult to um on your own i would suggest um see a clear path through to um you know start starting a new project or starting or getting into the hobby there are stuff there's stuff around and i think it's it's finding the wheat from the chaff as we spoke earlier to chris breeze and the, the great stuff he's done um with sort of introductory videos and um i'd, I'd encourage everyone um I, you know I, I doubt people who are starting will listen to this podcast but if you are and you've just started and you've randomly come across this when you've been uh, looking for a podcast dealing with um, cleaning sheep's feet or something like that, and you've accidentally come across this, um, then I would recommend that you get onto Wargaming Twitter. Follow myself, Gareth Lane, Stephen Wald, Chris Breeze, uh, the Two Fat Lardies, Sydney Roundwood, um, and many, many others. Um, and you will find that there is a great, um, helpful community out there in um Twitterland for uh, new starters, and they will, and you'll be helped along your new journey. And in addition to that, Barnaby just asks a sub question: What would you like to see going forward? Well, I think for me, the big change that's coming up in wargaming is three D printing, and um, it's positive in some ways, but I'm a bit wary of it because I'd like to see the traditional manufacturers carry on. Um, I wouldn't want to see the Perry twins go. You know what? People are printing stuff off for two p a time, so 
we can't make a living from that. So um, let's go off and be travelling minstrels and, and, and play um, ukuleles around uh, Bolton Market on a Sunday to earn our living. I, I really want the traditional stuff to stay there and hand sculpting, which is such an amazing craft. Uh, when I went to see Pete Morby down at Elite Miniatures, um, you know, to see the stuff that he, that was in the process of coming to life, uh, you know, on his on his little upturned paint tins with the the, the dollies that were half built and and how fantastic that looked. So I'd hate to see that go, and I don't think it will. Um, certainly not in my lifetime, anyway. I think uh, there's too many people like myself who are invested in the old school gaming. But I hope that we find a way. I hope we find a way for 3D printing and traditional manufacturing techniques to work alongside each other. So thanks very much for that, Barnaby. Great question, mate. It's back to the Twitters for the next question. And we have, this comes from the legendary noise machine, and that's at legendary noise. Uh, and that's with a Z in noise. So I'm suggesting that they may be a fan of the classic 70s rock band Slade, who would always uh, replace their S's with Z's. Come on, feel the noise. The question is, is there a modelling use for excess nylon stockings? Are you going to stand there and let me be insulted? Sorry, Nora. No, I don't think you meant you, love. I don't think you meant you. Um, I think uh, you could use uh, excess nylon stockings for a variety of things. You could use them um, for a bit of camouflage uh, netting. That would be the obvious one, I would think. And then there would be, I'm sure I've seen people use them uh, mixing in with Plaster Paris um, to do like modelling hills and stuff. Um, and then, of course, in the Sweeney game, um, do you be sticking them over your head and going and doing a blag down a local bank, wouldn't you, geezer? So that's uh, that first part of the question there from uh, the noise machine. Uh, second part, he asks, who makes the best Nora figure? And that's a that's a good question. I'm not sure. I've not really looked into it. I've had a quick look on uh, Bad Squiddo Games. Um, hi, Annie. Looking on there to see what we've got, and a couple of the Land Girl models that we that she makes um, as uh, might fit the bill. So I'll have a look into that. And if this becomes a regular feature, then like Dave, the cameraman from the Yorkshire TV on the YouTube's. Uh, I will get and paint up a Nora figure. So thanks very much for that, Mr. Noise Machine. Staying on the Twitters for the next question, and this one is from uh, at Gareth Lane, from uh, Gareth earlier in the programme. Uh, this is remarkably clean for Gareth. I was quite surprised. Uh, and he says, what's the best way to get a red wine stain out of my shag pile, please, Ken? Well, um, have you got an idea, Nora? I'll give you a tip. Oh, thank you, Nora. What, on this uh, this bit of paper here? Yes. So, Nora says, don't give me problems, give me solutions. Take this as an opportunity. It's like a Christmas cracker, this. Oh, one of them fortune cookies from Chinese. Um, it's what she says is, why don't you dye the whole bloody carpet red and then it doesn't matter whether you uh, drop any red wine on it again. And if you drop white wine on it, you can't tell. That's sound advice from Nora. Uh, I hope you like that, Gareth. So let's head back over to the Facebook and um, a question from Simon Stokes. Hello, Simon. Here's one that's been vexing me lately. Right now, there seems to be a proliferation of rule sets around for any period or scale you care to mention. 
What criteria do you use to work out which set is the right one for you? Good question, Simon. Uh, I think um, our criteria here at Yorkshire Gamer will be quite a lot different to uh, a number of people, uh, mostly because of the way that we game. Um, so the way I do it is um, I'll, I'll get into a new period uh, and then I'll try and get a list of um, all the rules that are available. And if you are doing something like World War Two, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of sets of rules that you need to look at. Whereas if you're doing something like I'm doing shortly, the um, Italian Wars of Independence, um, sort of late 1860s, 1870s in uh, in, in Italy, then there are hardly any choices at all. First thing is to obviously research your your period and see what rules are out there and i think that's a lot easier to do today than it was although there seems to be more rules out these days um they're easier to find whereas quite often um unless it was advertised in one of the war games magazines you wouldn't know about it and you might see a pamphlet or something uh on a stand at a war game show and have a look at them and uh, again unless there was a review in the magazine uh, you, you wouldn't see how how that was uh, and how it worked and what the mechanisms were. Where, as today, on the YouTubes, somebody will have done a playthrough of rule sets. So um, this is how I do it. I break it down, find what's available, and I start to look at them individually. And if they are, for example, uh, competition sets of rules, straight in the bin. If they are predominantly for points-based games, straight in the bin. If they have a, a gimmick, not gimmick, but if they have a mechanism that is going to break down when you get to a reasonable size game, straight in the bin. If I think they are too simplified, straight in the bin. Those sort of initial weedings will generally bring us down to maybe two or three sets of rules. And um, what we'll do then is I'll probably purchase those or I will have a look on YouTube and see if people have done run-throughs, uh, see if they are generally okay, look all right for us, and um, purchase one or two of them. Uh, and then we will um, try those out here at Yorkshire Gamer with a couple of games just to see what we think about uh, those particular rules and then after all that we chuck them in the bin because what we will nine times out of ten do um, we will like the core of a set of rules and uh, we use that as a basis and uh, build our own set of rules around it um, so that's probably not the answer you wanted to hear Simon um, uh, we are quite picky and choosy we very very rarely use any set of rules untouched uh, we very rarely change a set of rules once we get into it we um, play johnny reb 2 still for american civil war uh, which have been around for 30 plus years and because we play big games and we play those big games with a number of big collections we only get to use those collections once every year or maybe two years so we're not flitting around with different rule sets we're coming back to a rule set that we're all familiar with every year or two years um, i say reasonably familiar um, and the game is the thing rather than uh, the rules. Uh, I know a lot of people like to try different rules out and flip from one to the other. 
we just like to play the games with rules that we're familiar with and um, crack on. Now, a lot of that said, you've got to remember that at Yorkshire Gamer, we are the same people who've been gaming together for 30 plus years. Um, so I'm not looking for a set of rules that's going to allow me to go to a club or a shop, for example, and uh, fit in with the crowd and get games that way. So the very, very specific uh, reasons why we choose rules at Yorkshire Gamer and uh, not necessarily for everyone. And of course, you've got to be able to have a bloody big game with them as well. And if this next question doesn't get me into trouble, then nothing will. And uh, this is from Nordic Weasel Games. And that's at Weasel Nordic uh, on the Twitters. And they ask, are people who base their tank models criminals? Well, that's a controversial one. And uh, I think I'll go over to Nora for this one first. What do you think, Nora? Are they criminals? Yes. Well, probably a bit strong, but can't disagree with Nora on that one. Next question, a little less controversial, this one. Uh, this is from Gareth Beamish at ADC Painting on the Twitter. And Gareth asks, now that Dawid Milan is scoring test runs after joining Yorkshire, is it time for all English test cricketers to be granted temporary Yorkshire citizenship to improve their performance? It's a good question, Gareth. And I would, uh, although we're drifting away from war games and talking about cricket for a second, that's no problems on this podcast. We have been known to discuss the Cork on Willow game occasionally. I would suggest that I would go further than that. I would say that unless you are born in Yorkshire or you have lived in Yorkshire for more than five years, you should be ineligible to play for England. In fact, it should be the Yorkshire team that represents the nation with a couple of chuckers from the other place over the hill. Because I don't like to big up over there, but they do have some pretty decent um, chuckers in that side of the in that side of the Pennines. So here's my All England team: Jeffrey Boycott, Martin Moxon opening the batting, Michael Vaughan, Joe Root three and four. Going to bring in all rounders from Cheshire, Ian Botham, and uh, from Lancashire, uh, Mr. Flintoff, and then David Bairstow, obviously wicketkeeper. With uh, Ray Illingworth, Darren Goff, and Fred Truman doing the bowling, and we'll chuck in that lad from Burnley, uh, Mr. Anderson, to make up my 11. So if we uh, get some DNA from them lads, do a bit of cloning, and I think we're good to go for the rest of eternity when it comes to cricket. That is a top team. Carrying on down the Twitters now, uh, another question from Gareth. Um, He's asked a question about the average horse-to-infantry ratio during the Italian Wars, and I'd have to look that up, I'm afraid. Um, is there a singular book which outlines both minor and major battles during the Italian Wars? Unfortunately, in the English language, um, the sources of information on the Italian Wars are relatively poor. And uh, still, I would go back to Sir Charles Oman's History of the Art of the War in the 16th century. Uh, very old now, but still has a great... Um, coverage of the period and also covers the things like the Burgundian Wars uh, just prior to the Italian Wars and the development of things like pipe blocks and stuff like that so it's a lot it 
easier to understand uh, the change of tactics and the development of tactics in the Italian wars. So I recommend that book. And then things are slowly getting better. We uh, have Helian, who are bringing out the Italian wars books. Um, they've done one on Fanorvo and then one on uh, some of the later battles, uh, Ravenna and a couple that I can't pronounce. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the books I would go for at the moment. Uh, why do Yorkshire Walsh Wargamers make the best wargaming chums? Well, me and you, mate, we know the answer to that one, don't we? And back to the legendary noise machine for another question uh, on Twitter. Staying with the Italian Wars theme, um, is there a cheat sheet way to paint the different sides in the most accurate stroke known colours? There's a simple answer to this, um, Nora. No. Yeah, no, there isn't. Um, not that I'm aware of, anyway. And um, the different uniforms and uniforms I've used very, very lightly there um, for the sides are not really known. Um, you, you're kind of looking at paintings, uh, contemporary paintings, and in each one of those contemporary paintings, virtually every single individual has a different colour clothing. And um, similar to the medieval period, you could expect a similar theme within a, within a unit, potentially, if um, the lord um, or the person in charge of a particular unit um, had bought a job lot of cloth in a certain colour or wanted to have a recognised battlefield feature, like a, a certain colour feather or um, something on the arm or something along those lines uh, that would be the extent of the uniform now the stuff that i do um what i tend to do and i've explained this a couple of times before is i will pick the flags i'm going to use for the unit that i'm going to paint and then i will use those colors as my guideline for the colors of the clothing and then paint them randomly based around those colors uh, and that's how I work. But um, I don't think there is a cheat sheet, and I don't think there ever will be, because I don't think we know enough information about uniforms, and that's in inverted commas, if there was any. So uh, that's the way I do it. That leads me on to the next question from Gomo the Great, uh, from at Gomo the Great. And uh, they ask, is 20mm unpopular or out of fashion now? That's a good question. I've not really noticed that. But uh, it does seem to have gone out of fashion. About 15 years ago, uh, I remember everything was 20 mil World War II, rapid fire, uh, Britannia miniatures with a go-to. Everyone did 20 mil. Um, and it just seems to have disappeared a little bit. Um, people have gone either up to uh, 28 mil in terms of scale and down in terms of skirmish, or they've gone to... The latest Warlord 12.127345mm tanks that they're bringing out. Um, so, yeah, it just seems to have gone under the radar. It's still out there. I've got friends who play Rapid Fire still in really big games, and people have got lots of big, big 20mm collections out there. Uh, but it just does seem to have dropped off the radar just a little bit. A few more questions to go. Uh, how are we doing for time, Nora? It's a bit late, isn't it? It is a bit, but I think we can uh, crack through these last few and um, and get them all answered, Nora. So uh, the next one comes from at James Manto 4, hot lead actual, out there in Canada. Um, welcome to uh, Yorkshire Gamer. And um, 
James asks, what is the best pie to eat before, during or after a game? Well, that's easy. Bradford City is famous for its chicken balty pies and therefore I would eat one before, during and after the game. Uh, supplementary question to that is, what is the best brown sauce to pie ratio? And I, I'm not going to suggest to anyone that you put brown sauce on a chicken tikka pie. I don't think it'd work. What, what do you think, Nora? What would you say to someone who put brown sauce on a tikka pie? Oh, you dozy beggar. As for the uh, additional question from James, uh, he's asked, uh, what would Nora suggest is the correct shade of blue for Napoleonic Bavarians? Uh, and uh, Nora's written back to me. Um, she's gone She's gone for Vallejo 963, medium blue, uh, with a mid-tone of Vallejo 841, Andrea blue, and then a light dry brush of 844, deep sky blue. So thanks very much for that, Nora. I really didn't think you'd know the answer to that one, but you've done a, a cracking job there, love. Next question comes from uh, my old mate Ken, the eccentric man, um, and he asks, what is the best ACW rule set for large battles? Um, and I've been uh, shouting this from the rooftops for quite a while. Will you stop shouting these things in the street? Oops, sorry, Nora. Sorry, Nora. I'll keep my voice down. It's uh, Johnny Reb 2, mate. That's what we play. Uh, we've been playing it for over 30 years. And other than a slight change to the massively overcomplicated change uh, charge procedure in the initial rules, uh, we have used that for that long. Um, we've done first day is Gettysburg at 20 to 1. We've done games over 30 foot tables with it. Works perfectly for us. Very old school now, but it's uh, the set for us. Next up is a question from uh, my Wargames plastic crack dealer, Richard Naylor. Hi, Richard, um, at Wargames Odyssey. Um, and he's asking Arnora, what's the best guide to get someone started in wargaming in the Palestinian campaign in World War One? And what would you recommend as starter forces? I'm not quite sure what to say about this. Say something. Anything. All right, now, right, I'll try my best, love. Um, it's a difficult one because, like a lot of the obscure stuff that I'm tending to do at the moment, there is a, a very limited amount of information around, um, and a lot of it's not specifically designed around wargaming. Um, so uh, over open sites, uh, Mark Hargreaves' his, uh, website, um, and I'm going to plug my own, the Yorkshire Gamer website as well. There's lots of stuff on there about the games that I've done, and Mark's done a, a painting uh, guide as well. Um, the the rule set, um, if the law spares, as I spoke to Nick Skinner about in a previous episode, that's a good place to start, to be honest, because it's got quite a bit of information in there about how, how forces are set up, etc. And um, you don't necessarily... Um, unless you're Yorkshire Gamer, of course, have to go in and do uh, Palestine um, or uh, Mesopotamia, which is my preferred uh, bag in World War One. Uh, in 28 mil, um, Pendraken do a fantastic range in 10 mil, and one of the regulars here at Yorkshire Gamers gone into that scale uh, for Palestine. So I would go 10 mil, and I would probably get like a varied selection of units, probably eight, ten battalions uh, aside, and some horse, which in ten mil is not that much to be fair. Um, get the If Lord Spares' rules 
and uh, crack on, have a game. Um, there are no better, I don't think, uh, guides to it than the official ones available from the Imperial War Museum. They're a bit dated now, uh, but these do give a lot of information about troops who were at battles, and um, the, the maps aren't particularly brilliant, but it does allow you to locate them on Google Earth and places like that, so you can um, sort of put your old-school uh battles in a, in a in a modern setting and a lot of those areas to be to be honest haven't changed that much uh since the war a lot of the open areas um so um so that's that that's that one um we'll move on to the next question and this is a continuation from uh or from richard and also uh legendary noise uh two questions kind of come together uh sorry sorry what was that nora do you want a raspberry ruffle i'd love one nora is uh Ice cream man outside. Yes. Oh, brilliant, Nora. Here's a couple of quid. You bob out and uh, get us a raspberry ruffle and get yourself one, and I'll answer these questions. See you in a minute. Right, so back to this then. So, um, Legendary Noise Machine uh, said, I bought some um, figures for a skirmish game. Um, for, um, uh, but I look at the books, look at the figures, look at the books, and fall into analysis paralysis. Um, I have to say, I don't really think Italian Wars is a skirmish game or can be skirmished very well, but never mind. Um, and uh, Richard Naylor said, A similar thing happened to me. I bought a big box of Warlord Lance necks, but I've struggled to really get going on them. So here's a top tip from me, a uh, big Italian Wars player don't buy any Lance necks, they are a nightmare to paint. And if you're not really, really into it, you're just going to do what Richard's done and just go, on, oh, can't get going on them. Um, I would suggest going into Italians or Spanish or French um, and stay away from Lansnecks until you've really got into the period and you're really going to go for it. Hopefully, fingers crossed, um, if I get my finger out and I get my book finished uh, on the Italian Wars war game and the Italian Wars specifically, I'm going to give people a few ideas on starting forces, and um, I've done a little starter force myself as an as a an idea. Um, some some people might think it's quite big, um, but it's not really. It's a force for a six by four table, which, um, as I've said before, is is pretty average. Um, some people can't manage that, and I appreciate that. But all in all, most gaming clubs run on six by four so i'm going to call it an average so um the book will have details of a starter force for a six by four army for an italian condottieri and i think that could be the way to go so uh, um, i'll put that box of lance next to one side richard and crack on with um some swiss or some uh italians and uh, same for you for yourself old uh, mr noise um I would pick a unit, look at somebody's on, on the internet, look at one of Gareth's, look at one of mine, um, go on Olacania, James Loach's uh, website, and look at one of his units. Just try and copy that and, and start that way, and you'll soon find yourself getting in a rhythm. Next question comes from Sen Sven Falkerson. I hope I said that right, Sven. Uh, at Svenfu on the Twitters. And uh, he remembers uh, me and Stephen Wald talking about Tinny Tin, the um, Vallejo Gamer 
paint um, that we both rave about. It's absolutely fantastic. And Sven says um, it was inspired by the conversation between you and Stephen, and he's bought some tinny tin and he's forgotten what he's supposed to do with it. Uh, what do we say to that, Nora? You dozy beggar. Nice easy one, this Sven. Black undercoat, and then anything that you're going to paint as metallic. So that's silver, bronze, brass, anything, gold, anything that you're going to do is metallic. Paint the base layer as tinny tin and then build up your silvers and etc. on top of that. And it works absolute wonders, absolute wonders. Uh, tinny tin are recommended for everyone. Well, I didn't, I didn't realise Nora does come back with the ice creams then. You used to like my company once. I wasn't saying anything, Nora. I, I was just, I didn't realise you'd come back. It's no good pretending you can't hear me. I'm sorry, Nora. It won't happen again. It won't happen again. Uh, last question. Uh, this is from Phil at Petricelli69 on the Twitters. And he asks the question, how do I increase my painting productivity and become a painting machine like yourself and Gareth Lane? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, a lot of people ask me this, and I'm sure uh, it's a question Gareth's been asked before. Batch painting is the way forward um, for me. And uh, different people do it in different ways. Gareth paints, you know, can do 30 or 40 or even more figures at a time. I tend to do mine in batches equivalent to a base. So if I'm doing a pipe block with eight figures a base, I'll paint eight figures at a time. And that speeds your painting up because you are painting one colour. You're not changing colours all the time. Um, so if I'm painting boots, I'll paint eight sets of boots. I'll highlight eight sets of boots. If I'm painting with Italian walls, everything isn't a uniform. So um, I'll be painting a red trouser here, a red arm here, half a body in red. Do all the red and then go back and do white or yellow or, or black or whatever colour that I'm going to do. So when you, you sit down and you're going to paint some figures, Get comfortable painting in a batch. And even if it's like me, six to eight um, figures a time, you will speed up quite dramatically uh, rather than concentrating on one figure at a time. Here's my controversial piece of advice. If you've got anything fancy, um, like a wet palette, anything, just chuck it out. We, we, people um, spend so much time messing about painting. The, the, everyone's trying to get better at painting by not actually painting. You paint onto a surface, that means it doesn't dry out very quickly, so metal, bit of old MDF, get your paintbrush in it, put it on the figure. Nothing more than that. Don't go watering your paints down, don't go um, using all sorts of solutions, and just paint the figure under this wall uh, and you'll find that's a lot quicker a lot quicker i've done some painting tutorials on um youtube by all means have have a look at those but that's how i do it quick quickly a batch paint and i don't mess about i just get the paint on the figure so there we go that's the end of that first little problem page i hope you all enjoyed that and uh, i hope you enjoyed all the little um help that Nora gave there. Um, do you want to uh, say goodbye to all the people, Nora? No, thank you. Ah, okay. Um, goodbye from me and Nora then. Well, that was the first episode uh, 
of uh, hashtag Ask Arnora. And it was a bit rushed from what I wanted to do with it, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a it was a bit of a laugh putting it together, and I want to thank everyone uh, so much for putting questions in in such short notice um, yesterday evening. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Uh, that just leaves me to say goodbye to this episode thirteen, episode fourteen. We're returning back to normal, and I will be speaking with a chap called Robbie Roddis. Uh, Robbie has been around the gaming um, world for a long time and uh, he was the person who was responsible for getting me into gaming the Italian Wars so I should be blaming him for that and talking about his uh, many years in the war games hobby and uh, we'll be concentrating in the final section of uh, the usual format on um, Peter Gilder and uh, Robbie has a website dedicated to uh, the great of the hobby and uh, we'll be talking um, in detail about that so i'm looking forward to that one so uh, that one should be out second uh, friday in september so until then see thee.